You're listening to the Monaco GP review on the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. And on this episode, we are going to answer all the pressing questions from the weekend, including firstly, rating the race and asking, well, was it just the rain that made it exciting or could it have been really fun otherwise as well? Apart from that, we have to answer the major question. Did Red Bull Racing win this race or did Ferrari end up losing it? And also, we have to discuss Lewis Hamilton, who probably ended up becoming the first driver in history to change helmets in the middle of a Grand Prix. There's all of this and more, which includes a special stats review from F1 Stats Guru on, on Instagram right here on this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. So, if you're ready for all of that, let's begin. Hey folks, welcome back in. My name is Samuel Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar, joined by Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And wow, Kunal, straight up, I just have to give this race such a good rating. 8 on 10 for me, because frankly, it was just beyond my expectations. I was just wondering all this while, well, Monaco, it's going to be a procession. Yes, the rain can make it a little bit of fun, but I did not expect it to be this fun. Did you by any chance? This is precisely why I would rate it a 10 on 10 because you normally never expect Monaco to be fun. You're expecting, you know, what the race will be on in one corner of the room. I'll do some other things, talk to friends, you know, or, or do some chores. But, you know, that's because people just go round and round and there's just one pit stop and, and the likes. But when Monaco offers chaos, it's a different level of chaos. And that's why... I would say I would rate it a 10 on 10, Samuel. So we actually have different ratings again. And had it not been for the delayed start, had we had more wet weather running, had we seen 100% of the race distance, who knows, maybe the rating would have gone up to 11 on 10, Samuel, because I think maybe we could have started the race earlier. Of course, it was only known much later why the race was also delayed with, uh, with not just the weather, but the issues that the FIA was facing and the likes. But... Yes, 10 on 10 from me, Samuel. Yeah, really fun. And I knew early on that this was going to be a good race when the first couple of scenes that we saw right after the green flag were Nicholas Latifi and Lance Stroll ending up in a wall. And the fun part is that came up literally around three seconds after the commentators, at least here in India, ended up saying, well, it's going to be a show of some great car control. And then that happened. No, but jokes aside, in all honesty, it was great to see all four top runners in the hunt for a win. And let's be honest, Kunal, three of them were actually leading the race at some point. So this is just unlike Monaco in every sense of the way. This is also actually one of the reasons why I would still stick with my 10 on 10 rating. Not that I've been challenged by you or any of our listeners who will probably write into us, right? But uh, yes, you know, we rated seven races for this phenomenon, which is that all four drivers with the two top teams. So, you know, we are talking of Leclerc, Sainz, Verstappen, and Perez, for all those who didn't know the four drivers we were talking about, that they had equal machinery. They had machinery to fight each other for race wins. That that actually happened for the very first time in 2022. And to me, that is pretty fan- fantastic. And I hope that this is what is going to be the, like for the rest of the season. We've waited 33% of the season, literally, for this to happen but the, the good part is we still have 66% of the season to go. And boy, oh boy, it's going to be crazy if all four actually get to be there. And, you know, helmets off to Checo Perez for winning this one. But even more so for being just 15 points away from Max Verstappen. And the reason why I'm saying that is, guys, remember, he's a, he's the number two driver at Red Bull Racing. He knows that. We know that. Media knows that, Max knows that, and along with the number two driver tag, 
What also comes is the attitude from the team, whether it's to strategy, whether it's to do with the upgrades. I mean, so many times through the season, we've read that the upgrades have gone to Max's car, his car is lighter and, you know, so on. But for Perez to be doing what he's doing with the number two tag, being 15 points away, Samuel, is pretty fantastic. Yeah, and things are... I, I hope that things are just going to get better with him because I just want to see that circumstance where Perez and Verstappen are both fighting for the championship because now with this win, Perez, as you rightly mentioned, is just 15 points away. And he did the best thing that he could have done. He, that is, just end up being on the pace when Verstappen is not. And if you look at it pace-wise as well, Kunal, you can't quite put him as a certified number two driver because so far this year, there have been many occasions where he has gone ahead and beaten Max on merit. Case in point, Saudi Arabia. Case in point, Barcelona, until it was robbed away from him. So, can you really call him a number two driver in terms of pace? What happens when they're fighting for a championship? Because if their level, or maybe for for instance, if the Eddie Irvine circumstance comes in, right, where unfortunately the lead driver has to miss a couple of races or there are some DNFs or whatever, does Schumacher, or in this case Verstappen, help out his teammate? Because in the contract, it might be saying that Sergio Perez is a number two driver, but his pace clearly just does not make him a number two driver anymore. His pace doesn't make him a number two driver, but this is exactly what Red Bull want from their number two driver as well, which is that when Max is not on the pace, when Max is not winning, and we said this after Spain, right? Will Perez be allowed to win a race, uh, you know, if Max is in a position to win it? And that's probably what happened in Monaco. You know, Red Bull had to watch Perez win because Max was not... uh, the Max Verstappen, we know, you know, for the first time he finished a race in 2022, which he did not win, right? Otherwise, he's won every race he's finished, right? So to me, it's pretty clear if it came into a title battle between the two, uh, you know, there's no question in who, you know, Red Bull Racing would support. And uh, that's uh, purely down to the choices that uh, they've sort of made, Samuel. So unless unfortunately what you know the Eddie Irvine scenario you're talking about so uh you know M- Michael Schumacher miss a few races as well yeah exactly and if something like that happens I'm really curious to see what Red Bull Racing does because right now things are just even Stevens and you've got to give it a search Perez. his performance this weekend was absolutely superb and he was just right there and we shall talk about what exactly happens in the end, with uh, what ha- exactly happened, I'm sorry, in the end with Ferrari. But before we go to that canal, I suppose it's best to talk about the FIA as well, because their performance this weekend was under a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure. I mean, case in point, the weather delay. Do you think it was kind of justified on their part to push the race so far? And does it kind of prove that F1 now needs almost like very limited amount of water on track to race? Because back in the day, we've raced on tougher conditions. So was it fair on their part or what? You know, if you ask the teams and drivers, they are all saying race direction did the right thing. Visibility was very low. Drivers were anyway struggling with visibility with these new cars, given the wheel caps and and so on, the wheel covers uh, that they've got, right? To me, of course, outside first, it seemed fairly embarrassing that we were literally waiting what, you know, what uh, Max Verstappen said, are they waiting till it dries out? Yeah. Because like you said, you know, the, the races in the yester years were held in far more treacherous conditions. I mean, F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport and you'd expect them to 
sort of race in the most difficult conditions and you'd love to see the drivers revel in in these sort of conditions so it was a bit disappointing but it was of course revealed much later after the race that the 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 wet weather uh, you know had issues with uh, the the FI race control systems and uh, for example the start lights uh, didn't really have uh, power going into them which is why we were given rolling starts and not standing starts in in Monaco uh but yes you know i always hoped that we would have started uh but we didn't but you know that's not just enough i think the ocon hamilton incident that happened also pissed ocon and alpine off uh you know real time right uh that oh my god we've been robbed and you've been robbed of points in monaco uh mm. and then it of course turned out post race that it was a second incident which was missed out on tv that he was penalized for or at least that's what you know sort of mercedes said and then uh you know the post race uh, protest from red bull maybe we should talk about that because the fi ruling was a little <laughs> confusing around that as well uh and you know in in light of this the jewelry ban and and you know those things that sort of are otherwise in focus just seem far less important when when you look at sort of some of the decisions that came out of monaco Yeah exactly and that whole post race ruling was really absurd because what really happened was that Ferrari protested against Red Bull for both of the drivers crossing the line and they immediately kind of admitted to the fact that well Perez's protest was kind of useless eventually but for Verstappen's one it turned out that he did touch the yellow line but the FIA claimed that yes the rule had changed Uh, but we hadn't quite updated the dossier of sorts for this season so the rule has changed but it's not a part of the document so thank you for reminding us ferrari we'll change it right away which means that your protest result is that you fail in the protest even though the document says that according to the rules the protest was correct so it's just all confusing stuff the fi just walked up and said well the rules have changed but we're just going to update it right now thank you so much for reminding us and so it's just absurd what happened all the way around but yeah crazy weekend for the FIA and uh, for the race direction i suppose a great test because for them it is kind of their first taste of monaco and formula 1 and of a proper condition changing condition race and they were just tested to the limit all the way through over here and you know just little word on the protest still you know the, the there are two wordings that sort of were important first is being on the right side of the line Yeah. and second is crossing the line so if you're on the line in the in the yesteryears that would have sort of meant a penalty right but now being on the line is okay but being on the left side of the line is not and guys i'm sorry if you know people have uh, become new formula 1 fans but formula 1's always been fairly confusing this is a bit of a gray area like somel pointed out and hopefully it is now turned into black and white but yeah i think I think it was just one of those off days again for uh the FIA just like I would say it was an off day for the Ferrari strategists or was it really an off day or is this what <laughs> they've done all along Samuel Yeah I saw a meme on some WhatsApp group which says that the major rival for all the top 4 this year was Stampen his engine Sergio Perez the team radio message because of course team orders come in that way for Carlos Sainz it's the gravel trap and for Charles Leclerc apparently it's the team principles and on the whole strategy group that's sitting on the pit wall because yet again Kunal Ferrari have done it but I suppose let's look at this incident independently and and not on the lens that Ferrari always end up doing it although they do have a bit of a track record but on its own Gunnar what just really happened here because it just seemed like Ferrari got a bit too overconfident in a way and they mistimed their decision and Leclerc just ended up being in the middle of nowhere what's the frustrating part for you is the fact that 
signs got to take his own decision but Leclerc wasn't even consulted about it apparently that oh do you want to switch or do you just want to go on the dry tires directly you know actually all of this is a concerning part that you had your lead driver and you sort of made a strategy error and when your driver who was in p2 you couldn't coerce the driver into pitting which with eventually turned out to be the right decision but you know just goes to say will charles will will carlos signs trust the team's strategy going forward or will they keep second guessing it each time because you know carlos was doing what we've always heard of him uh, or known of him to be doing which is engineering his own car engineering his own strategy and so on so to me i think ferrari were just not wanting to be caught out and they said let's just pit leclerc and uh, like charles said you know when he was asked what do you think your team should have done differently he said we should have just followed the guys at the back because we had track position and track position is what we know is paramount in monaco yeah exactly and so it just makes me wonder did red bull win it or did ferrari lose it according to you kunal i suppose it's going to be the latter for me I think I would say Red Bull actually won it because mm-hmm. you know it's one thing that Ferrari made their mistakes but Red Bull still capitalized their strategy and we saw Checo Perez you know he actually undercut uh the the he undercut uh, uh the two Ferrari drivers and he is phenomenal when it comes to undercutting drivers in in Monaco last year he did that with uh, uh you know last year he did that with Vettel Pierre Gasly and Lewis Hamilton this year he's done that with the two Ferrari drivers and all in all I think uh, it's it's great to see that strategy was so paramount as well because overtaking was so difficult and you know an interesting insight that came up on Twitter for me Samuel we all know Hannah Schmidt uh, she leads strategy for Red Bull Racing Helmut Marko was actually uh, you know very praiseworthy of her after the race uh but it also turns out that the top 3 drivers in the Indy 500 yesterday mm-hmm. were also uh had female strategists running their strategy right so i think that in itself is so so interesting to follow that we have female race strategy engineers making drivers win and case in point yesterday was a great day for former sauber drivers unless their name was charles leclerc perez winning monaco and marcus ericsson winning the indy 500 Yeah, great to see times change in that sense. And Kamui Kobayashi, by the way, another former Sauber driver, has also ended up winning Le Mans last year. So it's like Sauber having a golden 12 to 14 months per se, even with their car and their team, which we shall get to later on when we discuss the eight sleep performers of the week. But I just have to talk about uh, the, I just have to talk about the lap cast as well, because another major factor that came in midway through the race canal was Williams holding up both Ferraris. It was Alex Albon for Charles Leclerc. It was, of course, uh, Nicholas Latifi holding up Carlos Sainz, which could potentially be the decisive factor because had that not happened and had Sainz had a bit of a faster in-lap, who knows, maybe he could have been ahead of Sergio Perez and could have taken his first win. But what do you reckon? Another Latifi uh, error or another Latifi action that has kind <laughs> of given the win to Red Bull? Is that the only reason why he's on the grid now? Well... but that's what you get in monaco right you got to call your strategy so much to perfection that uh, you know you can't be stuck behind slower cars and unfortunately in the case of carlos sainz you know at the pit exit latifi overtook him and it was only again at the tunnel when latifi let him go and that's what you get in monaco you're just following each other through right and uh, it was probably just that 
that cost Carlos Sainz because I think he drove pretty well to eventually, uh, you know, sort of uh, be in contention for the win. Even in the end, you know, the way he was pressurizing uh, Checo Perez and the likes was pretty, pretty phenomenal. So Carlos Sainz just has to wait that much longer for his first win in Formula One. And briefly, before we go to the stats review by Sundaram, the F1 stats guru coming up rather soon, I just have to ask one question about Max Verstappen because this weekend, slightly off color, slightly off pace, I think his race was just settled up on Saturday, right? Because it becomes so hard then to get past three other cars. But what do you reckon? Could he have done anything else on Sunday? I, I really doubt it because he didn't have the track position. So Red Bull kind of preferred Sergio with the strategy part. So how do you see this happening, Kunal? I'm just glad Red Bull didn't do the switcheroo between the drivers early part of the race because had they done that, maybe Max would have been the one winning. But yeah, he was a little off pace throughout. The understeery Red Bull wasn't to his liking and which is why he probably wasn't uh, as quick as he would have, we would have thought. And he was actually resigned to settling for second place in Monaco. And uh, he kept saying it's one race, let's pick up the points and go, which we know because, you know, we still have 66% of the season uh, to go forward with, right, Samuel? So I think at the end of the day, Max was just not comfortable and that's what uh, is key to getting a good lap. But that also being said, we got to remember two things that happened on Saturday, which, you know, at least one we should talk about. The, the first thing was the Perez crash, which uh, gave him track position, right, ahead of Max Verstappen. Of course, that that made sure that Max, who was probably going to take P2 from, you know, uh, Checo and Carlos Sainz, didn't get P2. So that's why Max was really, really pissed off with that crash. And then the first thing, the the phenomenal laps that Carl, uh, that uh, Charles Leclerc was putting in at the front uh, to grab his uh, third consecutive pole position, uh, you know, uh, of the season. And then, of course, his fifth overall, his second consecutive pole in Monaco. For him, just, you know, being at home and doing this is pretty fantastic. Although he turned around after the race and said, I am used to being disappointed at home or going back home disappointed, something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, and I think the same can be said for Max Verstappen as well, because at this stage, it's also as much of a home race for him. And it's two years in a row, Kunal, that he's been dropped of pole position due to a crash in qualifying involving a Ferrari. So that's a bit crazy, right? Uh, I don't know whether it becomes a trend like Leclerc's Monaco curse of sorts, if you like to call it a curse. But yeah, it's also growing. It's two years in a row. So keep an eye out for that streak. But speaking of stats, speaking of streaks, let's go to the stats review segment by F1 Stats Guru Sundaram. And he's got some really fun stats coming up for you right here. Let's begin. Hey folks, it's time to do the stats review of the Monaco Grand Prix. I am Sundaram Ramaswamy, also known as the F1 Stats Guru on the internet. Let's talk numbers. Well, the last three F1 races around Monaco to have been affected by rain have all been won by the driver who started third on the grid. It was Hamilton in 2008, it was Hamilton yet again in 2016, and it was Sergio Perez this time out. Something very, very unusual happened at Monaco. Everyone in Monaco was treated to, has, to seeing three different race leaders up at the front of the pack, something that hasn't happened in the last decade since 2012. Another very unusual thing that happened was on the podium. I saw Max Verstappen standing third on the podium, not, not first, not second, but third. That's his first P3 result in his last 25 podiums. And he's always finished first or second in all his uh, race finishes post. That's I think it's good. This dates back to 2020. 
something pretty unusual, I would say. And but one thing Verstappen did do was also equal Sebastian Vettel's tally of 65 podiums for Red Bull. That's the most any uh, Red Bull driver has done for the team. Uh, the only ones ahead of him are Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher for Mercedes and Ferrari, respectively, each scoring over 100 podiums for their teams. Now, this is a very interesting stat because the last four Red Bull wins at Monaco have come with four differently batched engine supplies. It was uh, Renault in 2012, Tag Heuer in 2018, Honda in 2021, and then this time Red Bull powertrains. We have to talk about homeboy Charles Leclerc. He was pretty much on the other worst. He was worst affected by Ferrari's strategy, dropping from P1 to P4. He was visibly frustrated, which makes which which also means that he has won just four of his 14 races from pole position. If I was a world famous singer betting money on who would win certain races, I would keep my money in my pockets because unless Ferrari starts showing a little bit of smartness when it comes to strategy or even in terms of reliability. Now, one other thing that I have to talk about is that a lot of drivers switched to inters very early on in the race, one of whom was Pierre Gasly. He did quite a few good moves on track, but the fact is that he finished P11 and he hasn't scored points for the last four races, uh, which is his worst scoreless streak since 2018, his first full season in Formula 1. Pretty much a bad spell for someone who actually wants to join the Red Bull senior team in 2023 unless Sergio Perez has already signed there. The last fact for today is that Yuki Tsunoda was the only driver on Sunday to use all the available compounds, dry plus wet, for the Grand Prix. He started on wets and then there was inters. There was a good stint on hards, mediums, and then there was a last stint on softs. Well, that's the stats review of the Monaco Grand Prix. I am Sundaram Ramaswamy. I'll catch you guys soon. <laughs> You've got to love him. You absolutely do. And if you were a famous singer, Kunal, if you had 400,000 euros or dollars in your back pocket, I'm sure you'd know better than to put your money on Charles Leclerc at some point, right? Because luck sometimes at Monaco just kind of goes away from him. Even though Drake did that in Barcelona and not Monaco, but still, it's a hard time to predict who to put your money on. I, I, I would never even think of putting $5 at this stage because you just can't tell. And that's fantastic. I think so. And this just goes back to all four drivers who could have challenged for victory were actually challenging for victory. And that's just how it goes. But if I had so much money, I'd probably just not bet it out. I'm pretty (laughs) sure of that. I'm really bad at betting. I would say I probably get emotional or too too clinical about it either way. But yeah, fantastic stats from, uh, you know, uh, F1 stats guru. I absolutely love those stats. And, uh, the, the one driver who statistically is having a brilliant season and it, the trend continues, Sommel, and we should talk about him. I know we are going to do that next when we speak about Mercedes, but George Russell, 100% of the laps, still only driver to have scored in all races and score only top five positions. I think that yeah. is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, he's just been fantastic all the way through. And he got the jump on Lando Norris in the strategy game. And there was one piece of footage that got cut out or kind of missed out from the F1 broadcast, which involved Russell and Norris side by side at the pit exit when Russell came out. And that was just fantastic. But yeah, I suppose he has to be one of my eight sleep performers of the weekend, Kunal, because if you come to think of it, there's nothing he's done wrong. And this weekend, Mercedes had a particularly torrid car because... Uh, seemingly everything that their design philosophy stands for 
is the opposite of what Monaco stands for. It's not fast. It's not full of straights, not full of high-speed corners. So Mercedes really had a tough time, especially with the bouncing. And Hamilton was clearly really in, not enraged by that, but disappointed by it. And for Russell to come out there and do what he's done is just fantastic, isn't it? Yes, and it's important to say it wasn't purposing that was causing Mercedes the problems because there were barely any straights, so to say. But in just general, for them to extract performance, the car was riding really stiff. And that's why there were all those mechanical bumps that they were facing. And that's what, you know, Lewis Hamilton said that, you know, they've resurfaced Monaco, but it's still so bumpy. And then it was highlighted that will the problems be the same in Baku 14 days from now? And he said Baku is actually a smoother circuit, right? So it all goes down to, you know, seeing if Mercedes actually do well in Baku. Because now when we look back, Spain was just track specific. They have so much data and information about Spain that maybe their performance, uh, you know, jump in Spain was down to just them, just them being good at that circuit somehow. Yeah, could very well be. But I'm now I'm very intrigued by this. Is it just Spain or can this kind of come back when we come to other circuits like Canada, which also feature a lot of high-speed corners? So let's wait and watch with Mercedes. It's really curious. But who else would you put in your list of eight sleep performers of the weekend, Kunal, apart from George Russell? Is there any space for Leclerc? I would say so. For his qualifying finesse, absolutely. For... You know, him being, he, you know, I, I love that how he was, you know, leading the race things till things went crazy. He trusted the team. He was let down. He was furious on radio, but it takes him so little time to calm down again, you know. And his post-race message, you know, I, 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 let's make sure this never happens again. He was very, very disappointed in all the interviews that I sat through, Samuel. But yeah, his his qualifying prowess, I would say, I would put Charles Leclerc there. And even, you know, Checo Perez, it's 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 a very, very uh, tough environment for him, that Red Bull racing uh, team, because he knows, everybody knows, like we spoke, Max is the blue-eyed boy. And that's the reason why, you know, somebody like a Daniel Ricciardo left as well, right? Mm. So for him to go there and still do what he's doing is pretty, pretty awesome. And, you know... Uh, when Daniel Ricciardo won in uh, Monaco, he did the belly flop or belly flap. Yep. He fell flat on his belly. I never thought that Checo Perez, of all people, could do a one-legged somersault. And he did that yeah. into the swimming pool on the energy station. So, you know, extra points for him to join the eight sleep list of performers from Monaco. Exactly. That was fantastic. And to see how the whole team was cheering on for him was superb. But I just want to say that, as, as we mentioned earlier on, do Red Bull support him all the way through? But also another driver I want to talk about, I mentioned earlier on that we will speak about Alfa Romeo at some point. And here we are with Valtteri Bottas because he very quietly, Kunal, went all the way up from P12 to P9 in an amazing piece of strategy. An overcut, I hear, and that's extremely hard to do at this place. I mean, there's no other driver who's done that. I think he... Was he the most driver with the most positions gained apart from Pierre Gasly? So, driver with the most positions gained in the points per se? That's interesting. We got to take that through. But yeah, I think the very fact that, uh, you know, P9 seems low for him and it's is disappointing just shows how great the season has been for them Samuel. so i would add him to that list uh, of uh, performers right uh, the segment that is sponsored by eight sleep but i would also i would also go on to say that him missing q3 was such a surprise because 
he's pretty much been in Q3 all barring two races this season, if I remember. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Bottas has been tremendous. And in the midfield, it's such a big muddle because close by were Alpine. And my word, Kunal, I think I, I have deciphered what the purpose of Alpine in Formula 1 is. What's the purpose of Alonso returning to Formula 1 is. It's just simple. They're just here to frustrate Lewis Hamilton. That's all. They're just here to nag him every <laughs> single time for every single race weekend. And if if you think I'm actually joking, Fernando Alonso ended up saying in one of his race interviews that if Lewis Hamilton was frustrated staying behind me, that's not my problem. You know, he's right, but that, that's a bit outright, isn't it? That's a bit, uh, that's a bit of a vocal driver. Yeah, that's vocal. And I'm sure it was just a repeat of what we saw in Hungary last year where, you know, Alonso did what he did to help Esteban Ocon win. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Alonso slowing down uh, was, was was a bit of a surprise, you know, being two, three seconds off the pace, allowing Lando Norris to do one more pit and get the point for the fastest lap of the race, which Norris actually becomes only the third driver to to take the point for the fastest lap of the race. Just as Checo Perez becomes only the third driver to win a race this season because all the wins have been shared either by Leclerc or by Verstappen Sommel. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's funny how things have really panned out. But I, I want to talk about Esteban Ocon over here as well for a second because we, we discussed that he got a penalty and it was not the one that actually ended up was was ended up shown on TV. So have you had a look at that incident, Kunal? Was it a fair, justified penalty in that case? Because Esteban Ocon was extremely frustrated at the end. You know, I think it was a bit cheeky, that decision. But it was it's probably like, uh, that at the end of the day, it was uh, what Ocon said, that if you're going to overtake and defend in Monaco, there is going to be a bit of contact. Mm. And unfortunately, this incident, which I'm told he was penalized for, wasn't shown up on TV and hasn't come up on F1's socials yet as well. So we just got to wait a few more days before it actually comes up. But, you know, that's just what you get in Monaco. Lewis was actually very calm about being sandwiched between the Alpines. He was very calm about uh, Alonso, uh, you know, uh, slowing him down as well, because he said that's just what you get in Monaco. And that's true, actually. Or was he just too busy enjoying the fact that he became the first driver in history to change helmets in the middle of a race? I mean, that was fantastic, right? But he started off with a white one, ended up with this traditional yellow one. Apparently, that was just because of some visor issues or whatever it might be. But hey, that's fun. Maybe F1 can introduce a rule like that as well. That in the case of a red flag, you have the liberty to change your helmet. So we might be seeing substitutions of sorts, if you'd like to call it that. But that's that's more on the lighter side. We have to focus on McLaren for a second because... Alf, McL- not McLaren, I'm sorry. Uh, Alpha Tauri at the end because... Their strategy games were really absurd all the way through, with Pierre Gasly becoming the first driver on the intermediates and really doing well. But the case the case over here is that he is now beating Yuki Tsunoda, but that's for the first time in many, many races. So a great positive, but he didn't end up in the points. So it's just absurd how this season is panning out. Full of good driver performances, but barely any points to show for. I think Gasly's race was actually uh, destroyed on the Saturday itself because he missed crossing the... Uh, the Q2 uh, timing line by one second. So Yuki made it, but he did not. And then you know what happens. Uh, or rather, it was actually Q1 that he had an exit in, right? So it's uh, it was just down to that. But Yuki Sonoda's strategy, I think, you know, for the first time, at least in 2022, and this is for Sundaram, our stats guru, to find out. Uh, when was the last time a driver used all five compounds in a race? Because <laughs> Yuki Sonoda actually did that. 
he used the extremes, he used the intermediates, he used the hards, he used the mediums, and he used the softs, right? And I don't know what's up with that strategy, but yes, he he actually ended the race on the soft tire. And of course, he was the last of the finishers in 17th place Sommel. Yeah, I suppose he was just doing some tire testing for Pirelli, right? Because dates are so hard to come by. (laughs) And so it's better if you squeeze all your tire testing into one Grand Prix. So what if it's shorter than all the other ones? So what if we have to compromise in a few other laps as well? But yeah, that, that's just how it went for Yuki Sonoda. Absurd little race for him and absurd little race for Daniel Ricciardo Canal. I just have to wonder, is it really getting embarrassing for him now? Because this has to be the biggest blow of the season for him. Now, I know that Imola statistically was worse with Landon Norris getting a podium and Daniel Ricciardo all the way at the back. But over here, both drivers were fine. Both drivers were normal. There was no crash involved, nothing as such. But Ricciardo was still dramatically off the pace. And Norris was sixth in a McLaren. So... I just don't even know what's happening in this case. Does it just end up being better if he kind of departs to a smaller team and tries to regain his mojo from next year? Again, I know it's hard to speculate from the outside, but it's just it just seems like this matchup doesn't quite work in the long run. And for the first time, you know, Zach Brown and McLaren have been very vocal about it in the lead-up to Monaco. Uh, you know, it was revealed that there are mechanisms in Ricardo's contract that could lead to an early exit. And I'm pretty sure uh, just the way drivers have an exit clause in case the team doesn't perform, the reverse is also true. Because at the moment, Ricardo's an underperforming but a very highly paid number two driver at McLaren. And that's not what he was hired for. So much so that Daniel Ricciardo had to also turn around and say, I'm beautiful, tanned and thick skinned, right? (laughs) So will the battle actually be uh, about his contract exit in 2023? Because it's not looking good. He's gone three races without scoring points. And I can't remember when was the last time Daniel Ricciardo actually went three races without scoring points after he joined Red Bull, and we already know from last uh, race that it's the f- it's the worst start to his season since 2013, and I think that is very very absurd. So I'm not sure how the Ricardo story or the nightmare is going to end. Could it just be that Ricardo walks out, uh, you know, of Formula One and McLaren by him, his own admission that it didn't work out? Because I don't see him going to a smaller team. I mean. Where would he go out? He'll go out to Williams, so he'll go out to Aston Martin. I'm not pretty sure, but let's just see how that, you know, pans out. Yeah, absurd to see what's happening with him. But very briefly before we end, we have to talk about Mick Schumacher and the crash. And so glad that he's okay. But it just seemed like the crash was harder than it actually was, Kunal. Was that just a regulation change uh, coming into impact? Because, of course, with the 2020 new cars, they're supposed to break off from the back when they crash to avoid any sort of fires, like in the case with Roman Groschon. So, is, if that's the case, I mean, it's funny that the first car that we saw getting tested out with it was also a Haas. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the crash looked uh, looked little scary in two parts first part was the crash happened and then like you pointed out the rear just detached itself out so it literally broke into two right which was like okay as we know about the regulations or at least people who didn't know finally got to know right the second part was the crash happened and then suddenly tv direction decided to go to kevin mcnewson 
And you could see, you're you're like, is that Schumacher who's crashed? But Magnussen is out of the car. Or, you know, there was a bit of a confusion because, well, nobody was focusing on the horses at that time, right? But yeah, in the end, it was, uh, it was you know, like Mick Schumacher said, it was, it was a 10 centimeter offline and that's what caught him out. But it just happens that it's his second terrible crash in seven races. Gunther Steiner's, of course, annoyed uh, by his own uh, by his own admission, and all of this down to the team with probably the smallest budget and uh, the team that will is not even dreaming of operating to uh, you know to the budget cap uh, this year as well. So just unfortunate that twenty nine career races and Mick Schumacher still doesn't have a point in Formula One. Yeah, it's it's looking a bit unfortunate for him, but folks, this was. What it was, right, for Mick Schumacher, a bit of a crazy weekend. And on the whole, you can call it a bit crazy considering all that happened. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Inside Line F1 podcast and Pits to Podium. And if you did, you know exactly what to do. Leave a good rating, leave us a like, share this episode and subscribe to the podcast. So, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and see you rather soon for the preview of the next Grand Prix right here. Goodbye. <laughs>